0: This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We're a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Good morning. My wife said I'm allowed to preach if I sit down. Because <laughs> there was no way I was not going to preach. This is how I tell people that I love them. Thank you for your constant prayers and support and encouragement. Um, oh, FYI, for the next 40, 45 minutes, I'm not moving. So if you don't like looking at the back of the person's head, you need to move. If you don't like seeing my face, you need to move to the back of someone's head. (laughs) But again, thank you for your constant prayers and support and encouragement. Uh, If you did not know what the hubbub is about, uh, if you're a guest, this is not normal. Um, But last Sunday afternoon, evening, I was transported by squad to Grandview Hospital for emergency umbilical surgery. Somewhere in the middle of the first sermon at nine o'clock, six inches of my small intestine decided to plunge its way through my abdominal wall. I did finish the sermon, thank you very much. (laughs) And then I did the second sermon, because I'm that guy. When I had told my wife when we got home after church that I needed to go to the hospital, she says, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> Which created an interesting opportunity when the nurse asked me, do you feel safe at home? Oh. <laughs> and I looked at my wife and she reminded me, this isn't a time to make jokes. But um, I will share some of the story through the experience as it pertains to the message today. But thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers uh, through this season of recovery and restoration. I do have a nice eight-inch zipper right here now uh, that wasn't there before, and my 22 feet of small intestine is now six inches shorter. Uh, Apparently, I still have a lot left to go, so... Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the food, for the prayers. My sons think this is the greatest thing that's ever happened um, because you keep giving them gift cards and taking them to duckies and dropping off danishes, and it's, it's this is like, this is awesome. Dad, you should do this again. <laughs> yeah, about that, <laughs> about that. Would you please take out your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. I know some of you are here just to see what's going to happen. I am aware that some of you have been playing the game Spot the Hernia from last week's sermon. Yep, I saw it at the sixth minute. Like, awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. And no doubt there's a betting circle going on right now to see. How long is he going to last? And I know my wife has already messaged some of you. Watch him, he likes to pass out. Let's wind him up and see what he does. Psalm 8. Thank you for your patience with me this morning. Psalm 8. Uh, we're going to drill down on verses 4, 5, and 6 but I want to start with verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy of the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, The moon, stars, which you have set in place. What is man? Stop right there for a second. Because that's a really good question. What is man? Not what is a man. I know that's a thing right now that's flying around American culture. What is a man? What is a woman? Can you change that? Can you... Move that around. Is it fluid? Is it gender specific? Sex specific? How can you? Does it matter what you wear? I know those questions are on the table. That's not the question that we're being asked. That's not what the poet is wrestling with. What is man? Meaning, what is humanity? What is humanity? Are we what some would suggest? We're just another version of animal. We're just more adapted advanced we're just we're just animals the ecological terrorists might say we're just a scourge upon the planet a virus to be eradicated we're an inconvenience some might say we're gods on earth what is humanity the reason that question matters is because for us right now, the question of justice matters. Last year, not liking or appreciating the messaging that was coming from culture concerning love, we spent the summer talking about love biblically. What is love? Getting in the flow of God's divine devotion to us. We worked through 1 Corinthians 13. Again, wrestling with the messaging from culture and its appeared obsession with justice right now, I wanted to know, all right, what's biblical justice? You keep throwing around the word justice. You keep calling for justice. You keep speaking for justice. But I want to know, what is justice? And so about five weeks ago, I invited us, let's, let's look at this. Let's see what scripture has to say. What is justice? And because we're followers of Jesus Christ, let's start with Jesus. And we found that Jesus' opening message, the introduction of his ministry to the world, was birthed out of Isaiah 61, where Jesus stood up in the synagogue of his hometown and says, hey, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. I'm good news for the poor person, he says. I'm the restoration of sight to blind people. I'm here to set free those who are captives. I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you know what that is, the year of Jubilee, it's all about justice. To find out that we are born into a story of justice, that you to look at this book, to unpack this book is the unfolding of justice. Not justice as we as Americans and Westerners understand and perceive justice as the gavel and the judge and the jury of rectifying justice. But of stewarding the flourishing of another human being. To make righteousness the priority. To restore one with God. To restore one with another. To care for the community. This is justice. And God says he loves it. He loves justice. He loves righteousness and justice. Because he is a God of goodness. A God that creates goodness. A God that shares goodness. And through Jesus Christ our Lord is restoring goodness. How? Why? Justice. And the reason that matters is because humanity is as broken as it is. We looked at the fabric of humanity and how it's become torn. Instead of being people that receive stewardship from God to create and care for one another and creating care for God's creation, the heart has become twisted and the heart has become turned. So much so, instead of receiving, now we become takers. We take. In the beginning of the story, the first opening chapters of Genesis, we become takers. We take things, we take lives, we will align ourselves and ally ourselves with fellow takers to preserve that which we want as we build our empires. If we perceive threats, we'll take our plows and our pruning hooks, we'll turn them into spears, we will militarize, we'll incentivize, we will send out the army. To protect what is ours and maybe take some of yours. This is what we do as humans. We are takers. Consumers and tribes with armies. And what happens as we take. And the fabric of humanity tears. People fall through the cracks. What scripture calls the vulnerable. Specifically, we talked about the quartet of the vulnerable widows and fatherless, the sojourner, the poor, those who would be uniquely disadvantaged and oppressed in the culture of the time, but an introduction for us to be aware who are the vulnerable in our midst. What, because of the brokenness and the corruption of our hearts, are more susceptible to oppression and injustice? Who are we invited to be mindful of and respond to justice because God seems to prefer them, that they need his attention more, and they have a right to restoration? The vulnerable. If all of these things are true, what does that mean? My son, Jackson, never wanting to miss a beat and an opportunity, said, hey, Dad, this was just this last week, wasn't it interesting? You were talking about the vulnerable, and now aren't you vulnerable? And I said, shut up. That's my shtick, preacher boy. But I said, Jackson, you're absolutely right. I, I was labeled a fall risk. They tagged me. Yeah, there was a little sticker outside my door at the hospital letting everyone know that I needed special attention. I was prone to wander, prone to fall. They even hooked me up with fancy belts. This is a gate belt. If you don't know what a gate belt is. This goes around my chest so that when I fall down and you have to reach to grab me, you don't just reach my hospital gown and bless everybody in my presence. <laughs> Try to get that picture out of your head for the next 30 minutes. No, I needed special systems to accommodate my vulnerability. Vulnerability because I was weak I was not able to care and sustain there had to be a lot of investment in my well-being so that I could flourish I was vulnerable when I finally made it home from the hospital Tuesday afternoon the sons were on high alert Lucas Aiden and Jackson mom had well prepared them and prepped them that dad needs special attention because he's vulnerable When I get up now, I have this habit of passing out. I haven't in a while. I know some of you want to see what's going to happen. But as I'm walking from the couch to the bedroom to go to bed on Tuesday night, Aiden is following behind me. Aiden right now is running the camera. He loves it because I'm not moving anywhere. But I looked over my shoulder and I says, Aiden, what are you doing? He says, I'm helping. I says, Aiden, I love you. But if I go down, what is your 120 pounds going to do with my 240? He said, yell timber. (laughs) (laughs) And then I started to laugh, (laughs) which hurt, which made him laugh more, which made me laugh more. But yeah, I needed special attention. I needed special care because I was vulnerable. But where does that vulnerability, why does that care for the vulnerable come from? What is man? What is humanity? Why should I care? Why should the amazing nursing staff and surgical teams and all those who came in and out of my why should they care on what i was in that moment and not what is man as a snapshot moment in time what was man and how was man intended from creation forward What is it that he possesses? Because it's not enough to look at man in the present snapshot. If you were to take a moment of me in reality and snapshot me Monday afternoon, blood pressure 53 over 38, and say, that is man. You don't have to be a medical professional to say, that's not what he's supposed to be. That's not flourishing he can't stand he can hardly stay awake what has God intended how do we need to restore creation in our hearts and minds if we're going to be the people of justice and see the vulnerable in our midst look at how the psalm continues he says this what is man what is humanity verse 4 that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Notice the tense. Notice how it's a past Thing. No matter what is going on right now, humanity has been given, has been granted, has been crowned, has been. There's something in our creation that must be restored in our understanding of what humanity is. Let me make just a few observations. One is that humanity is God's artwork. Maybe something to write down in your message notes that humanity truly is God's artwork. Look at what it says in verse five. You have made him, created. A little lower than the heavenly beings. There's something different about humanity than what you would think of angelic beings, spirit, dwelling entities that God's... We're not that. We're something else. But what we are has been crowned. Humanity is crowned, christened, mantled with glory and honor. Glory. The manifest radiance of God. Honor. Honor that there is something weighty. That's what the word means originally. There's something significant about humanity. It is God's artwork. God's artwork, a masterpiece upon display. To see a human being is to see something of incredible, incredible design the handiwork of God himself. As if you were to walk through a museum, to see a Rembrandt, to see a Michelangelo, to see the Sistine Chapel, and you behold a wonderment to see humanity, to see something of great weight, great significance, the manifest presence of God's glory a good image bearer of God. This matters because the stories that we tell ourselves of creation play into how we understand ourselves. One of the books I recommended in the beginning of the series, it's on the back of your justice guide. If you have one, if you don't have one, you can pick these up. It's just uh, some helpful resources. But Generous Justice by Tim Keller. He unpacks how many different cultures have presented humanity's creation. And that story shapes your understanding of who and what we are. Let me read for you just a little bit from his book. The Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, virtually unique in their view of how the world began. Most other ancient accounts depict creation as the result of a battle, a struggle between warring cosmic forces. A Chinese account describes how the primordial giant, Pangu, emerged from the ancient cosmic egg and then died. His parts of his body became the world, his eyes, the sun and moon, his body, the mountains, his blood, the waters, his muscles, the land, his beard, the forest. One African story tells of a giant who got sick and then vomited out the world. That's us, up Chuck. First the sun and moon and stars, then the vegetation and human beings. That's us. Someone's hairball. <laughs> I had a patient opposite. This is not in the notes. <laughs> I, I'm here at Troy Hospital, just dying of umbilical pain as six inches of my small intestines die. And across the hallway seemed to be a woman who could not get a hairball up to save her life for like 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness. I will go get it. I, I, I'll grab a white coat. I will walk in, give me a stethoscope. Give me some pliers. Yeah, sorry, distracted. I'm not on meds. This is just me, the way I am unmedicated. The Gnostics taught that the high God was unknowable, and in contradiction to God's will, some lower deity created the profoundly flawed material world. In Norse mythology, the god Odin killed the giant and used his body to create the universe and its inhabitants. The Babylonian account tells a similar story of the god Marduk who defeats the ocean goddess Tiamat and produces the world out of her members, her body parts. In most ancient myths, therefore, the visible universe resulted from conflict, powers in tension with one another, where the fallout, the collateral damage of war that shapes how you understand and view humanity. But the biblical creation account, however, stands in stark contrast. Biblical scholars argue that unlike any of its neighbors, Israel could conceive of no divine powers on par with those of the Lord. Creation was therefore the work of God without a rival, who made the world not as a warrior digs a trench, but as an artist paints a picture shapes a sculpture, that God is a craftsman, an artisan. To look at humanity is to see God's artwork, which is why we have to take Sin so seriously, that which tears the fabric of humanity so seriously because sin, by God's illumination, helps us understand that which corrupts us and taints us and stains the canvas and cracks the sculpture. The human, despite the staining, the marring, the breaking, Is at his essence, at her essence, at our essence. Crowned with glory and honor. We are God's artwork. That can be hard as you're looking at the addict. As you're looking at that family member who is nothing but a life-sucking fool. Right? And the invitation to justice the one who's reaching for the handout or whatever it might be in justifying the exceptions to the rule. And to say to yourself, wait, no matter what he is or she is in this moment, they have always been God's artwork. Justice is to restore divine artwork. You ever watch someone restore a painting? The time, the meticulous care, the gentleness, the kindness to bring something back to what it was originally created to be. Not just God's artwork, but God's ambassadors. Humanity is God's ambassadors. It goes on to say, verse 6, You have given him dominion. Over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, an ambassador, a sovereign manifestation of a kingdom, a representative of authority. To see the ambassador of China, the ambassador of Israel, the ambassador of England is to see the manifestation of that kingdom in your very presence. They carry the seal, the responsibility, the purpose to manifest that kingdom wherever they might be. To see humanity is to see a thing divinely charged with purpose. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That does not excuse those of our fellow humans who have lost sight of their allegiances and fail to know who their king really is. And so we labor to restore people's understanding of King Jesus, to bring them by the Holy Spirit, a saving knowledge of the Lord, to restore them to a seat of ambassadorship that they would in their life, in their space represent God and his kingdom well as good image bearers, as those charged amongst all creation to funnel and direct praise back to God, to call the angelic to praise, to call the terrestrial to praise, to steward creation, to be brothers in stewardship, to bring about flourishing one with another, to be God's ambassadors, to confront treason when the king's rules are broken to walk in grace with other people. This is to do justice. But when I look at someone, I am looking at the divine representative of God's holy kingdom. They are given dominion. They might not know what dominion means. They might not know how to access it, to practice it, to purpose it. Nonetheless, bad ambassador that they might be, that is God's holy representative on earth, given dominion. God's artwork, God's ambassadors, God's adoration, God's adoration. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man means of humanity, that you care for him. I adore my sons. Oh, they will push my buttons. Oh, they might make me mad at times. Oh, they might disappoint me. They might violate my rules. They might shame the culture. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I never cease to adore them. I adore my sons. I am mindful. I know where they are. I know what is going on. I care, which means I foster space for them to flourish. I bring to their presence. I visit their presence. Is what care means literally. With the care necessary that they need to be everything that God has created them to be. That's what it means to care. And to this, God does for humanity. I am mindful of you. I care for you. Matthew 25 makes a little bit more sense then. When we said Jesus, when did we see you in prison? And when did we see you naked? And when did we do these things? When did we care- take care of you? Oh, when you did it to the least of these, the vulnerable. My brothers, when you did it to other humans, you did it to me. You did it to me. So think about this for a second. I'm good. Text her, I'm good. I'm doing all right. Tell my wife I'm okay. If humanity truly is, if a human truly is, God's artwork, God's ambassador, God's adoration, that means a human possesses rights to be honored. You would treat a Rembrandt a certain way. Why? It's a Rembrandt. You would treat the ambassador to England a certain way. Why? That's the ambassador. If you had any respect and honor for me, then you would honor my sons, wouldn't you? Because I adore them. So again and again, of the vulnerable specifically, God says, don't forget, they have rights. Not rights because they're poor. Rights because they're human. But in their poverty, you are obligated to care for and meet out those needs. Not because they are fatherless or they are motherless or whatever the vulnerability might be. But because in that vulnerability, they are threatened and they are oppressed and might not be able to receive and walk in that which provides flourishing for them. They have fallen through the tears of humanity. But as my artwork, as my ambassadors, as my adored children, you take care of them. This is why of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, within the Pentateuch, the law, God built systems of restoration into the nation ways by which humanity could be restored and demonstrated specifically within Israel to be a perfect nation on earth. Doesn't mean they did it, but God's intended that way. He built restoration into them. One example would be what we call the gleaning laws. You can read about the gleaning laws in Leviticus chapter 19 where you were expected to leave margin when you were harvesting I'm good. When it came time to harvest, you would leave a margin along the edges of your property. You were to disadvantage yourself financially. You are to not bring in everything that you could so that others the traveler the wayfarer the sojourner the poor the widowed whatever might be able to glean from the harvest and have food and have sustenance. Great example of this would be to read the story of Ruth. Four chapters real easy you can read it in 12 minutes. Here's a great vast landowner named Boaz who intentionally makes sure that as the crop is coming in that some is left behind for those who are poor so that they could have something to eat the gleaning laws God building restoration into the culture of Israel saying hey what's more important is not the size of your empire with the well-being and the flourishing of your brothers and sisters in the faith. Another example is what we call the sabbatical law, the seventh year in Deuteronomy 15. You should read this. Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 15. Look at it a little bit later. Every seventh year there was to be a reset financially that if someone owed you, you would release them. You would not hold the debt over their head. If someone was given to you in slavery, you would release them. But even more than release them, you were under obligation to liberally give to them. You don't just send them packing. You said, hey, here's 10 or 12 sheep from my herd. Hey, here's some of the harvest. Hey, here's from some from the vine. Here, what can we do to help you get back on your feet? How can we restore you to flourishing? And all through this passage, he says, make sure you guard your hearts. Watch your heart. Watch the posture of your heart as you express generosity towards the vulnerable in your midst. We're creating a context of care. And then the biggest example which Jesus references in his opening sermon is the year of Jubilee, the seventh seven. where every 50 years, or in essence, once for every generation, everything was reset. All debts canceled, all land returned, every family given a chance to stand again in the community so that all would flourish. God built justice the stewardship of another's flourishing within to the law. That you are to disadvantage yourself for the well-being of others. That sounds hard. So again and again and again, and maybe you've found this if you've been doing your scripture reading with us. I really hope you do. Uh, If you want a reading guide, there's some more up here. Um, prophet after prophet after prophet comes to the people and says, hey, you need to be doing justice. You need to do justice. You need to care about righteousness. You need to help people walk one with another and walk one with God. One specifically, a prophet by the name of Micah. And this is one of those key hallmark passages in the justice conversation. It's in the back of your justice guide. In Micah 6, 8, let me read it for you. I'm sure Ryan's got it up there. Is it up there? Ryan's awesome. What does the Lord require of you? Everyone knows what a crime or a requirement is, right? A requirement means you have to do it. It's not a suggestion. Clean your room. Is that a suggestion? No. Go do it. I require you, God says. I require you to what? Do justice. Steward flourishing. This is what you are to do. You are to to be a person and a people of justice. An example for other nations. How are you to do it? To love kindness. That's how you do justice. You do justice with kindness. For whom do you do the justice? You walk humbly before your God. You put yourself under who? God is as your creator and as your king. What do you do? You do justice. How do you do it? Kindly. For whom and before whom do you do this? As one who walks before God. As one who is a servant to God. As one who is to steward humanity into flourishing, and into thriving. So how do we do this? Let's, let's unpack some of these words. A call for kindness. A call for kindness. We'll get real practical in weeks to come. But as I think about humanity, as I approach humanity, and this is hard for me because I think humans are stupid a lot of the time. I I struggle. I struggle. I struggle. Pastor, I keep screwing up my life. What should I do? Stop screwing up your life. Stop it. Just stop. They keep threatening to take the swords and axes out of my office because I might... Use them in a marriage, marriage counseling episode. Like... Kindness. Kindness. Let me give you an example of kindness from my experience. I was met time and time again from Sunday when I made it to Troy Hospital, suffering tremendous umbilical pain as six inches of my small intestine proceed to die caregivers and nurturers from the guy who's driving the ambulance. He wouldn't let me drive the ambulance. I asked, he said, that's a different price bracket. (laughs) To our own covenant member, Amy Ashford, who was already in my hospital room before I got there at Grandview. Oh, the tears just started rolling down my face. And she's making my bed and getting everything ready for me. It's kindness. That's kindness. She didn't have to be there. She didn't have to do that. She saw, I saw the call come across. The nursing team, whether it was the night nurse, the day nurse, whoever it was, there was a manifestation of kindness. There's a way to do things. A how to do it. But there were a couple moments where care was being administered. I'm not quite sure if kindness is what we would call it. On Monday, I, uh, after the surgery, I, f- I felt real good. I woke up. This is awesome. This is great. I'm on a clear diet. This is dumb. Um, I'm sipping bone broth, um, tea. I'm just, you know, whatever. And Elise took a half day, and she, she came to the hospital around noon. And she says, how are you doing? I said, I, I want to get up. I want to get moving. Okay. All right, she said, let's do this. My wife's a physical therapist. She had her catering purple on. She blended right in, man. This is a good deal. Uh, the Danish says, yeah, let's, 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 let's feels like he wants to go for a walk, let's, let's, let's do it. So they belted me up again because you don't, if I got to go down, you want to make sure that the gown stays on. Okay, so I had my gate belt on and she's walking with me and I'm just walking, you know, the fifth floor at Grandview. And I'm, we're taking, I'm going slow. I got my hand On the railing, she's looking at me. You good? I'm Baby girl, I'm good. I'm good. You good? Baby girl, I'm good. I'm good. Everyone I'd walk by, I'm good. I'm good. Just want everyone to know I'm good. Everything's good. It's good. Okay. Do my walk. I make it back to my bedroom. I look at my bed and I instantaneously flush. All the color of my face washes away. I begin to sweat profusely. Head to toe, I become instantaneously nauseous. Nauseous like a frat boy the next morning. Okay? And I sit down, I grab a bucket, and she's like, You're not good. Day nurse comes in, You're not doing very well. No, this is not good. I'm like that for about an hour. I go into the bathroom, I kind of just crash. Not crash, but I sit. Wait, stay. The rounding doctors come in and says, ah, you vagaled. I'm like awesome, great. It's not an emergency response. Vagus nerve, your cranial nerve number ten, the longest nerve in your body. It's actually two nerves, but it's kind of the main thoroughfare connecting important things from here down to things below. Okay, it can be triggered. Have you ever gotten up too fast and get a little dizzy? Vagus nerve saying hello. Okay. well this is what was happening now in the moment did not know exactly what it was all i know is what blood pressure was dropping which i struggled with a lot that whole day um and was a point of concern into tuesday um but again people being kind so all right i vagaled got back to normal a little bit uh doctor says hey you're checking your boxes everything looks good you want to go home yes yes much much like to go home please Please, you guys are great, but I want to be at home with my people in my house, in my clothes. You know, something covering everything would be great. <laughs> and so the, uh, sounds good. So they start the discharge process. I get up a little bit, might take a nap. Um, try to eat some, try to drink some. Diet's still pretty limited. Uh, around 6.30, 6.45. I'm sitting on a couch in my room. My wife is sitting next to me. Nurse walks in, waving the papers. Hey, you can go. Like, this is awesome. Let's do this. I'm excited. I want to go home, okay? This has not been the last 24 hours that I'd planned on, okay? Not in the least. Not in the least. I mean, I'm all about weight loss, but just getting organs removed in chunks was not part of the plan, okay? I had asked them. Oh, it's real now. Thank you. Uh, the day nurse comes over and she was awesome. I had awesome nurses at every single turn, um, watching over me, caring for me, being kind. Uh, so she comes over and she removes my IV and I vagaled again. Anything can trigger it any sense of trauma or anxiety or I mean, anything can trigger it. It's not it's like, I it's not an emergency. Okay. But this time, it, it was a pretty serious response in that I couldn't stay awake. My eyes were fluttering. My legs were going out. Um, my personality shifted. Uh, Elise and the nurse got a cuff on me. My blood pressure was 53 over 38. Um, that's, they tell me that those aren't the best of numbers. But what it also did was it triggered the rapid response team. If you don't know what a rapid response team, it's like the SWAT team of the nursing community. And so 10 people then piled into my room in their bulletproof scrubs and flak jackets and PPE hoods with night vision and all the fun accoutrements and tactical gear. And it got real, real fast, and they claimed martial law inside of my hospital room maybe much to the difficulty and chagrin of the poor residency doctor who was caught in the middle, unable to stand up to the powerful personalities at play. I tried to assure her with confidence and care that everything was going to be okay because I was quickly going to take control of the room again because I was going to go to the bathroom. Whether they took me to the bathroom or not, (laughs) things were going to happen. There... Is always a call for care, even when it's an emergency, even when things are down and out and hard. The follower of Christ is always called to be kind. You want to know when you can't do kind? You can't be kind if you're the priority. only when the flourishing of the other is your priority can you be kind when their physical emotional spiritual well-being is your concern then you are kind this is a call to kindness as you bump into humanity be kind i don't care how they vote god don't care I don't care how they dress. Jesus, don't care. Not nearly as important as some of the other things are. I don't care what color their hair is. I don't care what pronouns they're struggling with. I don't care about any of those things. God does not care about those things nearly as much as his servants are in being kind to his artwork, his ambassadors, his children. Not just a call to kindness, But a call to recognize God, you are my creator. God, you are my king. If you're struggling with justice, and I know I'm saying some things that some of you don't like, and you have no idea how I'm going to vote this election, and I like to keep it that way. Meditate on God as your creator, meditate on God as their creator. Yeah, maybe he got himself into this mess. Maybe he relapsed again. Yeah, maybe he was a fool. Maybe he burned his own house down. Still, artwork. Still, God's ambassador. Still, God's child. Let's remember Creator, King. If you're reading through, again, Scripture with us together, Isaiah 42 begins the unpacking of the servant of God and it starts to talk. He says, you know you know what my servant's going to be like? He's going to see a flickering wick of a soul and he's not going to snuff it out. He gets, he's going to see a, broke, a bending broken reed almost ready to snap and he'll restore it. He's going to be gentle and kind. And if we're going to be like Jesus and then when it comes to treating humanity, we're going to treat humanity the like way Jesus did. And then thirdly, Maybe it's time to carve out some margin in your own economy when it comes to justice. In the same way that God called Israel to carve out margin, what if you began to build in some margin in your own home economy? You build it into your budget. You know what? I'm just always going to have a $50 gas card or a gift card in my purse. I'm always going to have a Kroger card with me. I'm always going to have a care bag in my car. I'm just going to, so if I bump into someone, I am able to be an agent of grace and justice for that person without judgment. I'm just going to be with them in their moment of need. I will disadvantage myself financially. I'll disadvantage myself from a time perspective. I'll disadvantage myself from a resource perspective. So that, like Jesus, I can begin to heal the tears in humanity and care for the vulnerable in our midst. Maybe spend some time and brainstorm. Hey, how as a church could we become greater agents of justice? What could we? What kind of systems could we build into our ministry so that we're more benevolent and more generous in justice? Maybe the uh, the best idea is out there. It doesn't have to be mine. Probably not. Probably not. Maybe you have the best next idea to usher in a whole new level of restoration in our communities. A little creativity and a little forethought, and we'll go a long ways. One of the reasons that God continues to bless us financially is because we refuse to hold on to it. And at every single turn, we commit to giving it away. Because it's not ours. We're just stewards. We're just stewards. There's a sad story in Jeremiah chapter 22. The good king has died. His name is Josiah. And his sons are idiots. Man, they just keep screwing up. Like month after month after month, a new son gets up on the throne. A new son gets up on the throne. Josiah was the good king. He did righteousness. He did justice. He cared for the oppressed, the prophet says in Jeremiah 22. And in my own words, he comes to the next son in line and says, Will you do this? If you will not care for the oppressed, if you will continue to build an empire of oppression and injustice and unrighteousness. If you will care more about your empire than God's kingdom, you're going to lose it. He will take it away. And he did. I know what I'm saying is hard. It cuts me and challenges me at every turn. I look at people in their own foolishness and I say, dude, you had that coming. And sometimes being just feels like a very unjust thing. And so please make sure you join us next week as we turn the tide in the justice series. A watershed discussion, I believe. Because anytime God fortifies his children with the instruction of justice, he says, don't forget, you used to be a slave in Egypt. Don't forget, you were oppressed in chains. Don't forget, you are the recipients of injustice, and I set you free. To which you get to the New Testament. And the prophet says, don't forget, He who was rich became poor so that you might become rich indeed as we invite the Holy Spirit to restore grace in our hearts. Thank you for sharing your time with us and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our HOPE team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.